If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're doing part one of a two-part series about the question, what makes a relationship inspiring? We found that when push comes to shove, it's often challenging to recall relationships in your life or relationships that you know of that are inspiring. Uh, In this episode, we're going to talk about what does make a relationship inspiring, as well as how to make your own relationship become one of those inspiring ones, or your own relationships become those inspiring ones. Uh, This episode, we're going to talk a lot about some of the work of Esther Perel, uh, as well as various other writers who talk about relationships. Uh, But Esther Perel specifically was the catalyst for exploring the topic of this episode. Uh, I'm going to hop in here. Uh, Is this a hashtag relationship goals kind of thing? I kind of thought, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I know we've talked about the relationship goals thing on our podcast before. Um, It always feels really weird to me. It's like, I get it when people, you know, they post their freaking wedding photos on Instagram and it's like hashtag relationship goals. Like, I get that, but... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Do people post pictures of their own weddings and say hashtag relationship goals? Oh, God, yes. Do they? I don't know. I thought that was just something you posted about other people's relationships. Or, like, you'll post a cool picture of, like, a couple, you know, hiking a mountain and then you're, like, hashtag relationship goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen, like, you know, every single picture of the Obamas is just, like, hashtag relationship goals. Or or Obama and Um, Joe Biden being, like, hashtag relationship goals. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, I've definitely seen people who will like post a selfie of them, you know, like kissing their significant other and I be see. like hashtag relationship goals. Now, bear in mind, I do not usually like these people for doing that. Meaning, um, but but like, okay, so it's saying hashtag relationship goals. Like, I did it. I reached this goal. I think of, so. Of yeah. Kissing. Of, yes. <laughs> who finally did <laughs> the? I finally kissed. Big K, as we call uh-huh. it here. <laughs> On the multi-amory podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, no, I feel like I, I could go off on a whole tangent about how relationships shouldn't necessarily be goal-oriented, and it's sure. hard to pin that down. <clears> We've talked about that, yeah. Mo- motion and flux and mm-hmm. fluctuation. But anyway, let's not. But I Can do I think talk this, about why? Yeah, um, this is a little bit... <laughs> no, let's just keep cutting off Emily. <laughs> Hashtag relationship goals. Hashtag relationship Hashtag goals. Hashtag, like, Jace was like, Emma, you better be ready to go. <laughs> and then Dedeker's like, no, I'll go, bitch. <laughs> It's okay, uh, no. Please, please, Emily. Yes, tell Get us. Get us actually started in where we're, what we're supposed to be talking about today. Thank you. Thank you, I will. Um, no, about a week ago, I was sitting at the kitchen table, and we were, um, Josh and I, were eating, and uh, we decided to put on an episode of This American Life, and it was it was great. It was with Esther Perel, who we may have talked about before on the show. I know Definitely. that it comes up a lot in the multi-emory Patreon group. Um, she's a Belgian psychiatrist i believe and she also uh writes a bunch of articles for different publications and also has written a few books and is phenomenal 
Um, but she and Ira Glass were talking. Uh, it, she actually did an excerpt from her um, new podcast that is out currently called um, Where Should We Begin? And yeah, that excerpt was in the uh, This American Life. And then afterwards, she and Ira Glass were talking. And I'm just going to read a little bit of what they said. So Ira Glass can asked you, wait, her. Wait, Emily, yes. Emily, 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 can what? you please do an Ira Glass impression? Oh, yeah. Read? Oh, God damn. Oh, oh. <laughs> the funny thing is Ira Glass's voice is so high and your voice is so No, deep. I know. I don't I even know. know how you would accomplish it. I And I really like, I don't want to be like mean or anything. Can I not? Or Jace, do you want to? Do you want to do an Ira Glass impression? I think Jace could impression? probably do a good, no. Jace could do a good Ira Glass impression. No, I do a much better Roman Mars than I do Ira Glass. I can try. I, I mean, yeah, sure. It, he okay. He's very like all over the place with, his yeah, movement and yeah. words. It's like in your in your opinion. In, in your, in your, yeah, like in in your line of work, if it makes you feel hopeful for most couples and hopeful for the idea. Wait, what? This this line doesn't even make sense, Emily. Well, this is what he said. He's like he he was asking like in your line of work, does your line of work meaning if it so in your oh. line of work if it makes you feel hopeful for most couples and hopeful for the idea of people finding what they want with their partners. So he's asking like. Does her line of work working with people um, mm. on the show that she does, and then also obviously just over time, ha- does it make her hopeful um, that I they're going to find what they want? And so she she had a very long pause, and then she said, "You know, the thing that just popped into my head is I have days where I have faith in humanity and days when I don't." And then she says, "I'll answer you from a different angle. I once wanted to write an article on couples that inspire." And I asked about 60, 70 people at that time if they knew of couples that inspired them. And the vast majority could sometimes come up with one. And I never wrote that piece, but it's the answer to your question, right? It's that we can see some couples who are very good at this and some couples who are very good at that. But we don't have many models where we just say, wow, this is who I want to be. This is how I want to be. Hmm. And I was like, shit. Is Yeah, I mean, how many... Like actually inspiring couples come to mind when you say, "Like, do I know anyone that inspires me that is a couple?" And and then what what does make a couple a couple that inspires? So I wanted to kind of delve into that today because I really, or off the top of my head, didn't know of any. Yeah, I feel like most people like when I think about people talking about that topic, <clears throat> like people will maybe toss out like like my grandparents who've been married for seventy years, you know. But I don't know. I, I feel like it seems like there's a part to romantic relationships. There's obviously there's so much that we don't get to see, right? They're like icebergs. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And they're, you know, you only see 10% of the surface and they can cause a shipwreck. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't, I don't think that longevity next, necessarily makes a couple yeah. inspiring. Yeah, but a lot of people do. Yeah, I know. That is often used so. as a benchmark for whether a couple was successful or not. It's just how long they've been together. Mm-hmm. Not actually oh, how yes. happy they are or anything else. Right, right. Yeah, yeah so, totally. The way that we've broken down this episode, uh, you know, for all you listening today is, you know, again, based on a lot of like Esther Perel's work, as well as some other writers and researchers and things like that. Um, uh, there are kind of four broad categories we wanted to hit for, gosh, I don't know, just things to kind of be mindful of in relationships and, you know, things that Perel herself, as well as, you know, many other psychiatrists and couples therapists, um, and also, you know, 
myself in my own work, in my own line of work, um, you know, things that have come up in relationships that are healthy and uh, solid that are kind of, I guess, the, <laughs> I wanted to say the memes that you see and using memes, not in the funny sense of the word, but in the serious sense like of the in word. The scientific as in sense. Like, in the scientific <laughs> sense of like reoccurring things that come up again and again. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ideas essentially that get passed along. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think what I know definitely what I've loved so much about Esther Perel um, is that she she doesn't necessarily come from a standpoint of being super pro polyamory or pro non-monogamy or anything like that. But I think in her writing, she's definitely very much pushed a message um, that still is kind of uh, goes against the grain, I think, of what we're traditionally yeah. taught about relationships and what we should do. Um, and so, I think she's yeah. pragmatic about it and about yeah. understanding like relationships are changing vastly. And she says a lot that that non-monogamy or that even cheating has pushed couples to change their relationships in these really fundamental ways because it right. makes them speak about things that they might have never spoken about before. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. So um, if I can just give a quick rundown before we hop into it, you know, the four categories that we're going to cover today, we're going to cover um, particularly uh, sex life and sexual intimacy. Um, we're going to be talking about <coughs> autonomy in relationships, and we're going to be talking about respect, a uh, little bit of a, a tricky one, but also really interesting to talk about, and then also talking about a sense of self. And all those things are kind of related to each other to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to get us started on on the very first one, talking about sex life? Yeah, yeah, the sex life one. So I'll start off with a quote from Esther Perel. Um, she says, if love is an act of imagination, then intimacy is an act of fruition. It waits for the high to subside so it can patiently insert itself into the relationship. The seeds of intimacy are time and repetition. We choose each other again and again, and so create a community of two. Um, and I think, you know, the community of two thing is really interesting because, um, you know, at first, obviously from my standpoint, I want to be like, but what about more than two? Um, <laughs> however, it does make sense because the thing is that like, even at the end of the day, you're still working often with a foundation of dyadic as in two person relationships, even if it is multiple two person relationships that are happening at the same time. Um, so anyway, you know, a lot of what Esther Perel talks about is she talks about something that's called the paradox of intimacy and desire. And so it's the idea that as two people start to grow intimate, and I don't mean like sexually intimate, but just like intimate, mm -hmm. you know, grow closer to each other, um, you know, that builds more trust, that builds more security, but that also means that desire starts to diminish. And that's not, you know, that's not news to anybody. You know, I think that culturally we've come to accept that, you know, we understand that over time in a long-term relationship, obviously it doesn't feel as passionate or exciting or as thrilling as it did at the beginning. Um, but I think culturally how we deal with that has been not so great. Like, because we, I think we kind of tend to rail against it and kind of fr get freaked out about it and worried that that means that something's wrong and we're really trying to get it back, you know? Well, I, yeah, I feel like in a way we kind of, uh, ignore that balance like that that culturally we tend to ignore the idea that <clears throat> as you build this kind of intimacy that sort of novelty and excitement and passion that maybe started the relationship goes away and like yes we acknowledge it but it i feel like the way i see it get acknowledged a lot is 
in this sort of negative joking way of like, oh, the mm. the mm-hmm. fire is gone or, you know, that that's sort of this negative shitty thing that's like, well, crap, I guess, you know, shouldn't have gotten married or whatever. It's kind of in this more negative way. Or it's the movie where they first get together and they're so passionate and then the movie ends and it's just like happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't sort of see that, right? Um, and I think that it's, I would argue that this, it's not something that we necessarily are taught the wrong things about, but just that we don't talk about it much at all. Or at, right, least, not, yeah. at least not in a realistic, like pragmatic way. Right. Yeah, and I think it's something that Perel speaks about a lot, um, and something that I think, obviously, the three of us have asked ourselves, is that, uh, is novelty kind of the key to a great sex life? And then, on the flip side, how can those who are monogamous, or those with like a, even a long-term partner, even if you're polyamorous, how can they still cultivate a really terrific sex life? So... From her writings and from other things that we've spoken about, we wanted to come up with a couple things of how to maintain really great sex. Um, So some of these are coming from uh, a Huffington Post article entitled Mating in Captivity as Sir Perel Reconciles Sex and Marriage. And something that I do love about this list is that I, I feel like every other list that I've seen on the internet that's about like trying to get the spark back or trying to get the passion back in your bedroom, they're all very uh, specific in the sense of it being like, buy a new lingerie, <laughs> yeah. go to a sex club, <laughs> right. buy a particular sex toy, have a threesome, <clears throat> you know, that it all very much focuses on these like sex acts, I suppose. And what I really love about this here is is that she focuses on kind of more general fundamental things to be looking at in your sexual connection with your partner um, that are just going to help you be able to kind of maintain a really good sex life for a long time with them. Yeah. Yeah. So to start this out, and that's that to start with the understanding that intimacy doesn't guarantee good sex. Uh, and I think this is, if, if we look back at that quote that Dedeker read at the beginning of this section here, is that um, you know, if <clears throat> love is an act of imagination, then intimacy is an act of fruition, right? So fruition mm-hmm. meaning like we've planted something, we've you know watered it, and it's taken a while for this to grow. That intimacy is something that can take some some time to come there. And as she says, after that, it, it waits for the high to subside, so it can patiently insert itself into the relationship. And I think that. This is something that um, we we tend to talk about, I think, in, like, culturally. We tend to talk about this in a fairly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of irresponsible way or kind of a juvenile mm. way where we'll look at, um, you know, this idea that, like, oh, you know, the best sex I ever had was that, you know, one night, uh, you know, in you know, when I was traveling abroad in Switzerland and I met this person, right? And it was all passion and fireworks and whatever. It's basically the premise to, uh, uh, before dawn, sunrise, before sunrise, before sunrise. Yeah. Isn't before dawn a vampire movie? Probably. Uh, (laughs) breaking dawn, but not that one, not that one. one. Uh, but before sunrise, right? It's that this, like, there's all this passion because everything's new and whatever. And then, on the other hand, we have this idea that we get really intimate and connected and maybe have a really stable home life, but we don't have that good sex, that they're kind of apart. 
But I think what's important here is that, that what Esther Perel is talking about in this article is that intimacy doesn't guarantee good sex. And what that means is mm-hmm. that essentially they're, they're two separate things, that having good sex and being really intimately entwined with each other don't necessarily go together. They can, mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, but they don't necessarily. So it's not like, oh, just by becoming more close and knowing more about each other, that will cause us to have good sex. So the second thing, and this is one that I'd love to discuss with the two of you a little bit here, uh, is that she says, tension must be there. That friendship has no tension. In desire, there must be small, some small amount of tension. So yeah, um, I thought this was really interesting wording of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was in a different, um, it was a different interview with a different guy. And he was like, well, you know, my, my wife, shouldn't she be my best friend? And Esther was like, she better not be because, (laughs) because friends in friendship, there is no tension. Um, And I found that really interesting because again, the narrative is here in America, at least like your, your wife or your partner or whomever they are your best friend and they know you inside and out. But that is really interesting because, yeah, it it doesn't cultivate like the spark potentially that perhaps you would want, especially in a really sexual relationship. So I think what she's saying is that there should be something potentially hidden or or not all of yourself, not everything that you are should be known like it would potentially to a friend. I don't necessarily disagree with this, but I do kind of want to play devil's advocate with it if I can go on that journey really quick. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's a part of me that also begs the question of like, is she saying that friendship has no tension? That's because of this dichotomy that we're traditionally used to setting up between our romantic partners and our friends. Um, Because like my mind goes to the fact that like, if you're actually giving like weight and importance to your friendships, like there can be plenty of tension, you know, like there's plenty of times when a friend may feel possessive of you or maybe like really upset that you suddenly abandoned them because you got a new boyfriend. Mm. You know, like there's plenty of opportunities for tension. It's just that we're not used to giving it the same weight that we do to romantic tension. Again, I'm not saying that I definitely, I think that this is wrong necessarily, but I'm just, you know, kind of doing my thing of mismatching. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just an interesting question to ask oneself to potentially not be as close as like a best friend would mm. in terms of like absolutely everything being known. I think, I don't know. It's, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> I feel like that the trick here is that, yeah, on the one hand it is set up with this sort of false dichotomy uh, that I think is false between friendship and sexual relationships that those can't, can't be the same thing or that those have to somehow inherently be a different type of relationship. I think her choice of the word tension is is interesting because I'm sort of like, mm-hmm. it makes me want to have a longer conversation with her being like, what do you mean by tension, right? What what does that word mean in the way that you're using it here? Uh, but on the other hand, though, something that I've talked about a lot on this show that I've gotten from, you know, from other, uh, you know, from other people talking about relationships is just the, like, how very important it is to not have your romantic partner be all those things to you. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, 
if you the, the the metaphor that I heard was basically that um you don't want to have sex with the person you take out the trash with uh mm-hmm. was kind of the cutesy way of saying that of essentially like keeping some sort of romance and like courtship going on is important but that person that you want to maintain a sexual relationship with can't also be the person who scolds you when you don't stick to your diet or like tries to keep Mm -hmm. you accountable for your goals or right. These other things that just kind of work at odds with the idea of like having that sort of mystery and excitement and maybe creates a different kind of tension. (laughs) That's not the kind of tension for this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, speaking of the mystery and excitement thing, um, something else she lists here is having a deep interest in the other person. And that seems like it's obvious, right? You know, that you should be interested. But I think it goes to this other level of really having an interest to, to, I don't know, to like really continue to get to know someone over a long period of time as they shift and as they change. And it's interesting because it reminds me of an article that I read a little while ago that was, um, it was about uh, relationship experts who are also dating other relationship experts mm. and what right. what their advice was for <laughs> for um for good relationships and something that was in that article was uh, actually when fighting having a deep interest in your partner as in having this curiosity of being willing to talk about like you know uh you know where obviously i think obviously not necessarily like right in the thick of a fight but being able to talk about like these are the things that I grew up with. Like, these are the models of communication that I grew up with. Like, this is what I saw my dad do to my mom or, you know, mm. oh, did like, did like, how did your mom talk to you about these things? You know, having an interest in each other as to like how your communication patterns and how your argument patterns came about. Um, and I think it seems like that applies this, you know, in a similar way to sex as well. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think, again, you're not necessarily going to know absolutely everything that there is to know about a person, even if you are best friends with them or even if you have been with them for years and years. So continuing that interest and not thinking that like, oh, well, I know how this person is going to react, but instead like having a bit of wonder to the situation. I think that, yeah, I think this segues a little bit into the next point that Emily's going to talk about, but is the idea that you're interested in the other person, like exploring them, finding new things about them, maybe even finding new things with them about themselves rather than just, well, I know what's going to get this result and that's going to get me the thing that I want or that I know mm-hmm. that I want and I'm not even going to explore myself, right? I think that interest can can really go both ways and expand things for both of you, especially when we're talking sexually where again sort of the cultural narrative is just sort of like a thing you do to get it done right you kind of know what you want and that's it you're not like exploring new things after college yeah right well and again yeah the next one is going to be um for better sex you should have sex that's not results oriented and also sex where you don't know from the beginning how it's going to end so again, not 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 just like doing the same positions at the same time every week, yeah. in the same order, um, but instead like having you know she she said have sex with someone at midnight, you know in a hotel room or whatever. Make it 
and and also yeah she spoke of spontaneity not being a real thing like there's always cues between two people regarding sex so Mm -hmm. like sex doesn't just occur it's like a dance that we do that's spoken about in ways even if it's nonverbal cues I would even take this a step further that I don't think spontaneity necessarily has to be any part of this because I know that a a debate that's often been had amongst us and amongst our friends and our partners is this idea of like, can you schedule sex? Like, does, Mm -hmm. does it ruin it if you schedule time for it? Uh, And because for some people, and especially if you're polyamorous and you have multiple relationships, you might kind of need to, right? To just logistically work that out with someone. Um, And I think that I just want to clarify that I think that's scheduling time for sexualness is very different from being unpredictable or you know or, or sorry being predictable mm-hmm. right and just being like yeah. well it's like okay this is our time so uh you know it's five past so we better get to the <laughs> you know heavy petting and then uh in 15 minutes we're gonna move on to missionary and right like that it's not yeah. that it's not like oh we're gonna do this kind of foreplay then we're gonna have this sex we usually do these positions and then we're gonna come in and that's it uh but mm-hmm. instead that it's like hey this is some time we have together let's see where that goes right i think that's that's important to see that that even if you are someone who does need to schedule sex which i've been that person sometimes Mm -hmm. right that sometimes not even just because i'm so busy but just sometimes it's good to know when to like get in the right headspace for that like when should we be a little extra flirty because now we have some time leading up to this so the next thing as far as maintaining a good sex life or a great sex life shall we say um and this one should be pretty evident to anyone who's been listening to our show for any amount Years. of time, um, which is that uh, monogamy specifically may not be for everyone, um, or it may not be for you all the time necessarily. Um, and I think, you know, that is what I definitely appreciate about Esther Perel's stuff is that she's not talking about all these things within this one particular framework of long-term monogamy. Um but uh, yeah, I think definitely encouraging people to start thinking outside the box a little bit. Um, you know, that if you open up your relationship or if you decide to be non-monogamous, it doesn't have to be full-blown polyamory. If it means, you know, going to a play party once in a while um, or if it means, you know, 100-mile rule or whatever, as long as you're able to do it in a healthy and ethical way, then that's fine too. And that can definitely jazz up your sex life for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there have been studies done specifically about uh, swingers or people who practice ethical non-monogamy in a way that's like just having other sexual sexual partners. Um, And that there have been studies done showing that on average, they tend to report much higher levels of satisfaction in their relationships, um, just in general, but also especially with their sex lives. So there is even science to back this up, too. This isn't us just being like, fucking try this. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) there actually is some research to back that up it is interesting in these interviews that i read how taken aback people are by that and how she does say like look i'm not i'm not advocating cheating i'm not saying like that that is an okay thing but if two people can come to an agreement within their specific relationship about potential non-monogamy then more power to them because I yeah again I think she's 
she's a realist and throughout her work and probably throughout seeing how often um cheating comes up quite frankly mm-hmm. then yeah. i think that she was like well it it can work for some people and be great for some people yeah and that's awesome as we will know yeah <laughs> Uh, so the next one here is actually related to one of the earlier ones we talked about, which is this is that uh, sex should be unknown and unpredictable. When what she means by that is that it's not in the same place every night and not at the same time every night. Uh, so this we talked about a little bit of like, oh, you know, got to stick to the schedule, whatever. What I've found, though, if I can share sort of some of my personal experience is um, generally in newer relationships or relationships where I don't see a partner very often, uh, this doesn't come up as much, but in more established relationships or, uh, you know, longer term relationships or ones where I'm living with the partner or whatever, that actually making time, whether that's scheduled time or saying, you know, once a week or like, it's, you know, either going to be on Wednesdays or Saturdays, like those are our sexy days. Let's like kind of keep the sort of mental, emotional space there for that. That what's interesting about it is that by doing that, I found it actually also makes these kind of <clears throat> sort of unpredictable, unexpected sexual things happen more often as well. Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is our day. And so we assume like once we get done with our work for the day, you know, then we're going to do that. But somehow in the morning, we're just sort of like, hey, right? And things just go somewhere in the morning or <laughs> or hey. during, you know, or, hey, uh, you know, or do it during lunch or something like that, where it's like, gosh, I didn't expect that. I assumed we were going to do that later after we'd finished our chores and, you know, whatever else. Um, but I found that just scheduling time for it and kind of having it on your mind uh, can also help that to occur in, you know, the, in the times and places you didn't expect. It's like, oh, wow, we did that right here in the kitchen instead of in the bed like we normally do or whatever it is. Um, so that's just an example of, I guess I'm really like fighting hard for this whole it's okay to schedule sex thing. Well, I, I think that, you know, it's often because with my clients, I often encourage them to do things like that too if they're finding that they're falling into a rut or, you know, frequency of sex is just like not satisfying to to either you know half the couple um but but i think it's that like the key is that it's kind of like it's okay to use a tool and to create a container for unpredictable things to happen and it's kind of like finding that balance where obviously you know i think like jace was saying earlier it doesn't have to be down to the minute planning necessarily although if you're a parent that may be what it takes (laughs) but um you know, again, even just adding a little bit of structure uh, can help to make sure that it still happens while still being allowed to be organic and and unpredictable. At the same time, if you, I think, do more sex in your life, if you make time for sex and have more sex, you're going to be thinking about it more and potentially wanting it more. I do, so I think it do is more important. Sex. Do more sex. <laughs> do the sex. Do the sex. Yes. Do it more. Now, that's technically what the Japanese say. You do <laughs> really, sex. That's true. Do the sex. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, think just, it makes more sense than having sex. Yeah. That's true. That is weird. Yeah, it yeah. is a verb. You think about or, it. Well, yeah. It, I guess it's also a noun. No, it's funny because in, in we don't in, we only use it as a noun because we don't say. I mean, we only say ironically we, to sex someone. Right. I'm sexing. We say having. We're sexing. Well, yeah, you're. Having but yeah, we're sex, having it. That's having. a verb. We're possessing sex. That is a weird oh, thing. Oh, you're possessing it. Yeah, that's you're weird. Having it. 
well like having a seance well or like having a good time yeah i mean it's yeah, kind of yeah. it falls into a weird gray area i think in the fucking yeah. english yeah know, right? no wonder it's difficult <clears throat> to learn but it's yeah, funny because it, in because in russian it's like you're occupying yourself with sex it's kind what? of like really? how That's I would translate the way you say it. Like you're spending I mean, that your makes time. Much more sense you're than spending sex. your time on sex. Is <laughs> essentially like I I love that. <laughs> I mean, you are you're spending some time. It's true. Yeah. Wow. On on sex. <laughs> That's funny. On that note, yes. Yes. Um, what was I? There was something I wanted to bring up about that though. Um. Oh, I guess just kind of, um, you know, thinking about it more, having it more, right. It was that um, I had one one particular partner and there was something that she did that I actually really appreciated. And it was that um, when we were together, um, it was during a time where like neither of us were feeling super like sex driven a lot of the time, um, even though we, we liked having sex, but we, it wasn't like a big focus of our sort of day-to-day lives individually but when we were together it'd kind of be that time of like well it's a little late we could just go to bed i don't know if we want to have sex we're kind of tired it's been a busy day like that sort of thing and her suggestion she would make is she's like well how about um why don't we just get naked and let's get into bed together and we'll see what happens and if we just go to sleep that's fine and if we have sex that's good too uh, and it was actually really nice. And I'd say more often than not, it led to sex, but it didn't always. Sometimes it would just be like, make out a little bit and then be like, I'm tired, huh? Like, yeah, me too. And <laughs> we would just go to bed. Uh, so yeah, just kind of making a space for it to happen is is also really nice. Totally. Uh, and then the last point from this article here about maintaining great sex, um, Esther Perel says, on some level, we trade passion for security and that's trading one illusion for another. It's a matter of degree. We can't live in constant fear, but we can't live without any. The fear of loss is essential to love. Discuss. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's so good, though. <laughs> no, it's just so good because, because again, yes, there is that narrative that like, okay, we're married. Like, we're good now. We're done. Nothing, yeah. 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 We're done. Nothing's going to happen in this relationship. Like I got it on lock. And yeah. yeah, she talks about like, no, you really like, you got it on lease at most. <laughs> like it's not, yeah, it, it, you still have to want like re up and renew every, you know, mm-hmm. every time that potentially something goes wrong or something happens or there are questions there or whatever. You have to look at the relationship and you can't take it for granted in that way. And I think that's super important because so many of us do, especially in long-term relationships. And I think a really good example of the opposite extreme of that is the relationship that I feel like many of us have had at some point in our life, which is where you're really into the person who's kind of there and then they're not and they're kind of not always available and they're a little inconsistent and you can't always trust that they're actually into you, that you're always chasing after, right? Where it's like, yes, maybe that really fuels your desire for them and your passion for them, but it's not a healthy, sustainable way to have a relationship uh, and usually ends up just you feeling exhausted and you're always preoccupied with it, right? So she's saying it's about this balance right balance that we can't live in constant fear which is what that is which makes us so like desperate running after this person who's never giving us quite what we want uh and then also 
being too safe and feeling like whatever i got it on lock uh you know I, I, never gonna have to worry about that person never have to worry about them That's leaving me or anything so who cares yeah and it's not to say that like being securely attached in a relationship is a bad thing i think it's just that like when you're so securely attached that it does get to the point of taking them for granted a little bit mm-hmm. like chances are the sex is not super inspiring <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's been my experience <laughs> at know? least yeah 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 mm-hmm. definitely for a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code multi at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, so we're going to go on to autonomy, which is another very important thing to have in your relationships, um, also to make your relationships more inspiring. So I'm going to read from Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex. So she says, Yet in our efforts to establish intimacy, we often seek to eliminate otherness, thereby precluding the space necessary for desire to flourish. We seek intimacy to protect ourselves from feeling alone, and yet creating the distance essential to eroticism means stepping back from the comfort of our partner and feeling more alone. Our ability to tolerate our separateness and the fundamental insecurity it engenders is a precondition for maintaining interest and desire in a relationship. Instead of always striving for closeness, Couples may be better off cultivating their separate selves. Yeah. It was a mouthful. She calls out, um, you know, the idea that separateness just fundamentally causes us to feel insecure a little bit Mm. um, in a relationship, which is like, that's just so fascinating to me because, I mean, it it really speaks to how much we have been indoctrinated to, um, I guess, with this... (laughs) kind of this old judeo-christian belief that you know the two flesh shall become one right essentially or you know, when that, two become one as the spice girls also said oh yes 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 that other <laughs> ancient religion i'd forgotten oh, about yes the religion of the spice <laughs> <laughs> um so it's interesting because uh, like in her writings esther Perel does talk about the fact that the desire 
for having autonomy sometimes can be the catalyst for infidelity in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, sh- there's more and more research coming out about the fact that even if people are happy in their relationship and happy with their partner, they may still cheat. And that definitely turns on the head the narrative that we normally have of, <laughs> well, they're out seeking something that they're not getting in the relationship or they must not be in love with their partner anymore. And so that's why they're trying to be with someone else. Yeah. And that may not necessarily be the case. Um, and, uh, you know, Perel, she talks about the uh, this idea of the quest for the unexplored self which I think Mm -hmm. is really, really interesting. So like this idea that people go out and they find someone new. And like we've said on this show many times, you know, when you have, when you have multiple partners, each partner brings out something new in you to a certain extent. Um, And it's the same, even if you're in a monogamous relationship and you happen to be cheating, that it's that desire to be able to have an established kind of separate self or a newer self that gets brought to the surface by this other person. Um, uh, Pearl, you know, talks about people having an affair and it makes them feel young again, um, or they remember who it was that they were before they were in their marriage or in this particular long-term relationship, um, or it brings them back to, you know, remembering these opportunities that they missed with other people, um, you know, that brings them back to remembering who they might have been if they decided to be with some other person other than the person that they're with right now. Um, and it's really interesting because it's kind of like if you have built your identity around this particular other person in your life, I feel like by default that means that anytime you do get to explore how that may be different, it just makes it seem even more tantalizing. And I think mm-hmm. for some people, if that's wrapped up in another person or in an affair, it just makes it even more like juicy and tempting, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, if you feel like that's the only time you can be yourself because all of the rest of the time is spent having this one person be everything to you, right? Like they're your one confidant, they're your one best friend, they're your one person that you have your hobbies with, that you do things with, right? That that, that can feel very limiting, even if we might love the crap out of that person and think they're amazing and and really honestly do not you're not deluding yourself into thinking that you really think they're amazing and you want to spend all your time with them that even then there's still you start to lose your sense of identity which leads us to our first point here which is don't forget about your other friends Make time to hang out with your own friends, not your couple friends, but your own friends, uh, and give time to them just as you give time to your partner or your partners. I mean, we definitely come back to that a lot. You know, it relates to the stuff that we talk about with relationship anarchy. Um, You know, it just seems like whatever your relationship model is, you know, don't forget that there's this whole other network around you. that is uh, just as important as, you know, the people that maybe you're choosing to have a child with or to live with or to have sex with or things like that. I think that can be and really... Even if, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Emily. Oh, no, just I was going to say, and even if you are monogamous, you are going to be a different person around your friends than you are potentially around your significant other. So that'll at least give you a sense of that by being around them a sense of otherness, a sense of autonomy, rather than just being the same person day in and day out with your significant other. Yeah, and I think this one 
and the next point we're going to make are also can be very hard to transition to if you found yourself in kind of a more, I'm going to say normal kind of relationship. Oh, don't, don't say normal. Don't say normal. <clears throat> a more say traditional, a more uh, commonplace kind of relationship where well, that sounds, that sounds patronizing. Sorry. I'm just going to shoot more, down every suggestion. That's I'm used to it. Um, oh, <laughs> this is why I need time with my other friends who don't shoot down it's my okay. ideas. No, it's good. I feel very separate from you right now. So that's good for our yes, relationship. Thank because God. you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aside from being across the world from each other right now. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, so how, however you want to describe it, hold on. I wasn't finished with my thought. All right. All right. Uh, what? what? <laughs> that, that if you are in this kind of a traditional relationship where you are very intertwined with each other and you only ever hang out with your friends together that you can't, just do stuff separately from each other or, or just that you don't, this can be a very difficult thing to, to do. It can be a difficult transition. You might say, Oh yeah, I'd like to do that. But like the opportunity never comes up or it never quite seems appropriate to leave your partner to do that. And this is an instance where something like having a monthly check-in like a radar uh, that you can go back and check out our episode about that a few episodes ago having a monthly meeting can really help in your relationship to set specific tangible goals for doing this. Cause I understand it. I've been there and I, it's an easy place for me to go of just spending all my time with someone and not going out and doing things separately. So having a very intentional kind of meeting with each other can be a really good way to both for you and your partner to make time for that, to make sure you are prioritizing that and understanding is not a way to escape your relationship, but a way to help, you know, promote its growth and its, you know, intimacy and, and everything. So the next way to promote autonomy is to take time for yourself, not your friends, not anyone else, but just yourself, which can mean like a night away from your partner doing an activity on your own. Uh, something Dedeker has done is take a retreat by yourself. Um, or travel without your partner on a solo vacation, something that you have done a lot of times. A lot of that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that. I don't feel like I tend to have a lot of problems with autonomy. I mean, I have, no. I certainly have, and, you know, I've certainly had some bad patches in the past, but. But I think also it's felt. probably because of you regularly do these things. Well, I mean, part it, of that not may just be because, also part of my avoidant attachment it. behavior, but we'll not dive into that. <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> give you a compliment. Okay, I'll take the compliment. I'll take the compliment. Well, yes, I think good, a, good. the good point, though, is that it's about balance, right? Mm-hmm. That if, if it's just because you can't handle being around someone all the time, then yeah, maybe address that from the other side. Um, but having spent most of the past year with you, Dedeker, I don't think that's quite yeah. what's going on at the moment. You no, exactly. Me. Yeah, you do spend a lot of time with people, but then you also take months for yourself, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think in the same way, like, it's great for me to get to go on trips with you guys away from my nesting partner and do things like that as well. Have opportunity for um, time away is incredibly important. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, The next one is just to remember that autonomy is related to having a mutual respect for each other. And we are going to dive into respect a little bit later um, in the second part of this episode. Um, But just remembering to 
honor the things that are different about your partner, different from you, and also allowing them to honor the differences in you. Um, and that one can be a real tricky one because for some people, it, it's kind of like, what's the line between what's a difference that I can live with and what's a difference that's a deal breaker to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> going along with uh, all of this is that autonomy can reduce that feeling of need for an affair or infidelity within your relationship. And it's important to remember here that infidelity can also happen in non-monogamous relationships or in polyamorous relationships that, you know, infidelity means some kind of other relationship that's kept secret or is outside the parameters of what you've agreed to, or is somehow, you know, dishonest or other, uh, not just that it's with somebody else and that having this autonomy, ironically, you might think being apart from each other more might encourage more of that, uh, that actually, ironically, it alleviates some of the need for that. Cause as we were talking about earlier, a lot of times that comes from just a desire to, to be on your own and to do your own thing and to not mm -hmm. feel like it's always having to be worked into this one other person's life. Um, so I think that that's can be kind of a surprising thing, but is incredibly powerful to realize. Well, that's kind of related to what we talked about in our cognitive biases episode about reactants about, mm. you know, if you've set up some like rules or agreements in your relationship where one of you or both of you feels like your freedom of choice is being threatened or you feel mm -hmm. like your autonomy is being threatened, you, like you're going to be more likely to try to uh, push back against that particular agreement or try to find a loophole or just straight up break a rule, you know? Um, mm. It is that weird ironic thing that, you know, the more you try to keep your partner on a short leash, the more they're going to try to pull against be that resistant, leash. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not because yeah. they're a dick or anything, but just because that's kind of part of psychology, that autonomy is important for all human beings at a certain point, point in time. Um, that, you know, I think just to give a more practical example of this, that when people are making agreements, things like, gosh, I don't know, what are some ridiculous ones that I've heard lately? Things like, well, before you can sleep with someone, you need to bring them home to meet me and I need to... Uh, you know, in the, you need to have gotten tested within the last three weeks and they need to have not slept with anybody in the last six months. Um, uh, you know, like kind of creating this kind of really difficult, essentially like an agreement that's very difficult for your partner to feel autonomous, to be able to like make their own decisions about who they do mm. sleep with or who they do choose to go on a date with. Um, that those are the kind of things that rather than protecting your relationship are going to make it more likely that your partner is going to try to find a way around that or try to do something without telling you. to jump through. Yeah. I, I would even take that a step further and say any type of an agreement where... I have to sign off on anyone that you want to date or that you want to have sex with that even that I would even go that far to say that even that yeah, well, yeah, definitely. that I have to meet them and tell you it's okay first that right there yeah, you've, you've nah. eliminated that autonomy and that other relationship. And the idea that like you have the ability to make a decision for yourself without like somebody else validating that decision. I think that's bullshit mm -hmm. and not, and again, yeah, keeping autonomy from one another. Yeah. Not okay. Um, so on that note, obviously we do a podcast that touches on polyamory often. 
And I think polyamory can really foster a sense of autonomy for a couple who was pre- previously in a closed relationship. Um, obviously, relationships change and grow and morph over time. But I know for me and Jace, I think it did create a different sense of like who we are. And that was such a, a problem for me and my monogamous relationships was that I really got lost in them. And polyamory kind of opened up that world of me not feeling so incredibly kind of only with one person and like that's the only box that I could fit in instead it opened my horizons in so many ways so I think that it can absolutely be a way to maintain autonomy in a relationship I will say though I I don't think it's necessarily a magic bullet because you know sure. with the people that I've worked with like the couples who have the most success opening up their relationships are couples who already in their relationships autonomy Mm. there was some autonomy it doesn't mean they're like you know at an extreme level but the idea of them both having autonomy and independence wasn't threatening from the beginning um and that definitely helped the transition a lot because sometimes you know if you don't have that in your relationship already sometimes just the main problem that people have trying to have a non-monogamous relationship is just the idea that their partner is going to be out making decisions without them uh is just too threatening to people. And so, you know, I definitely encourage you, whether you want to open up your relationship someday or not, it's still a really important thing to have. Yeah, I think I was speaking from personal knowledge that sure. that I was the person who tended to create the codependency in my relationships and that that wasn't the fault of my partners, but that in a way polyamory allowed me to have the tendency to be codependent less just simply because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's other things out here and I'm allowed to enjoy and be interested in them. And it doesn't just mean like I have to box myself into what I think my relationship needs and wants. Right. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So the last point here that we want to hit on is just the fact that there is research that shows that people who have more social resources, like more of a social network more of a support network um if they have more people around them to talk to whether that's just talking to shooting the shit or talking and processing something that's going on that those people do a lot better when it comes to uh, a marriage and i'm assuming that in this context that esther Perel means like specifically probably a a long-term like monogamous marriage right um Mm -hmm. But I think that applies to any kind of long-term relationship in general, whatever the relationship format is. And so the thing is that it's really important to know what's the balance between what am I investing in my partner or in my partners and where can I be investing elsewhere? As in like, what are like my friendship relationships that I can be investing in as well? What are the what are the people outside of my romantic relationships that I can continue to invest in? Um, And I mean, this is like, I found in my own life that, that when I kind of started thinking about things in this way, it did really change a lot. Um, When I started kind of treating a lot of my, what I would call quote unquote friendships, you know, like non-romantic, non-sexual relationships, once I started putting a lot more importance on them of like trying to maintain communication, trying to like do nice things for them or give them gifts or, you know, kind of essentially like using my love languages towards my friends as well. Um it really made me just generally a lot happier. Um, Mm -hmm. And not that it's like all about me. Like, of course it made those relationships better as well, but, but, but like, (laughs) that was what I found is that generally it just, 
made me generally a happier person, which meant that I was a better partner, you know, in my romantic and sexual relationships. Great. Well, I'm really excited to continue talking about this. Clearly, you know, we could talk about all this stuff forever, uh, but we're going to have to wait until next week to finish up this discussion where we talk about our two last topics about uh, inspiring relationships. But on our quest for finding inspiring relationships. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's Um, a long, arduous quest. (laughs) Yes, but thank you for joining on this. I'm really enjoying this kind of discussion about what it is that makes relationships good. And I feel like that's, it's so much at the heart of what this show is about a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. We deal with specific things, but this is kind of the heart of it, right? Of like, how do we have the best possible relationships regardless of the specifics of those, like what are the more general themes on how to have successful relationships? So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to pick this up next week. If you'd like to have your question or comment played on the show, you can call 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. You can leave us a voicemail there, or you can send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and to join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Jace Lindgren, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 